Um, so many fun things going on around this church. You know, as I even, I'll even segue into that. There's just so many good things that there's a scripture um, that says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And I pray that we at Osmond Church, we perceive the new things that God is doing. That God is in it. We are in a new season, right? Uh, graduates, a new season of a new parking lot. Uh, I just was thinking about, it. man, over since the beginning of this year, we've got a new youth pastor, right? We've got new elders, new bylaws. There's so many new things that are happening this week. I'm hearing that there's going to be new restrictions lifted off of us, right? There's things that we are experiencing more freedoms. There's just a newness, right? The summer vacation is here. Some new uh, things. I, I, like I said, I'm renting an RV for the first time. Ah, I'm so excited about that. I know I've mentioned it like three times because I'm excited about it, right? I'm expecting a great family vacation, and I'm praying that you guys are expecting good things in this new season ahead of us. That I know if you listen to the news, the news is always a downer, man. The news is always saying about the bad things and horrible things that are going wrong in our culture and our society and our nation, and I just want us to be reminded of the good word of God, right? This is the good news. This is the good word, that there is so much that we can be filled with hope, with joy, and so that's kind of where we're headed this morning. The title of this morning's message, we're going to be looking at James chapter 5, so you can turn there in your Bibles if you want. I will have all the different verses we're going to read up on the screen because I'm jumping different translations and I'm skipping verses and making it hard on you, but if you want context to make sure I'm not preaching heresy, follow along in your Bible, James chapter 5, and uh, the title of this message, yeah, James chapter 5 is expectancy and prayer. And so this is something that I, as I was reading throughout Scripture, um, this is just something that the Lord, Holy Spirit highlighted to me that I needed to work on. And it's one of those things as a pastor, sometimes I have to, in my devotions, like, hey, God, is this for me or is this for the church? And sometimes it's a yes answer. Sometimes it's, you know, this is for you, Ryan. And so this is a yes answer. Um, this is definitely something God is teaching me, but I feel like it's for all of us this morning. And I'm praying and believing that each one of us is going to hear a word from the Lord. Maybe it won't be my main theme that I think God is trying to say, but I feel like the Lord wants to confirm things to some of you that he's already been speaking in your life. And as we read throughout his word, as we sing these worship songs this morning, that God is wanting to speak to you personally. He's a personal God. He's the God who created the entire universe, and yet he knows you personally and intimately. He knows you better than you know yourself, right? He knows us. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows if we're standing, we're sitting right. Psalm, oh man, I'm forgetting, drew a blank. Psalm 139? No. Psalm, what is it? Help me out. Where I know, uh, I knew you in your mother's womb. Psalm 139, am I saying it right? 139, okay, thank you, sorry. My brain, it's like one of those things where you get nervous and all of a sudden, blank. Um, but that chapter is so good. The Lord knows you. He knows what he's doing. I feel like even in this message this morning, I may have planned this thinking this one thing, but the Lord knows that he has a word for each one of you. And it's personally tailored for you. And so I'm praying that each one of us have ears to hear what the Lord wants to say to each one of us. Amen. So, James chapter 5, there's all kinds of things in here. I better look at some of my notes, figure out where we're going. Um, so, let's start in verse 7, verse 7 and 8. Um, I think I have my version. I, I even forgot, I didn't even write down what translation this is. But it says this, Brothers and sisters, we must be patient and filled with expectation as we wait for the appearing of the Lord. Think about the farmer who has to patiently wait for the earth's harvest as it ripens. Because of the early and latter rains. So you also keep your hopes high and be patient, for the presence of the Lord is drawing closer. 
So you see these words throughout verse 7 and 8 where it talks about being patient. It says be filled with expectation. Keep your hopes high. This idea of expectancy. That James, just some Sunday school trivia, James who wrote this book in the Bible is actually Jesus' half-brother, right? He has a different biological dad um, because Jesus didn't come from Joseph, right? He came from the Holy Spirit. Um, and so James is not one of the 12 disciples. He's actually one of Jesus' brothers. And he is actually leading the church in Jerusalem. He's one of the main leaders in the early church. And he's writing these to other congregations, which I think is kind of interesting. He's leading the church in Jerusalem, and he's talking about other home churches. And he's giving them advice. He's encouraging them. He's instructing them. And so he's saying, brothers and sisters, whoever you are in the family of Christ... We must be patient and filled with expectation as we wait for the appearing or some translations, the return or the coming or as my, the Passion Translation says, the presence of the Lord. And I feel like there's this idea that we need to have expectation. We need to be expectant or pregnant with things. As I said, sometimes we read the news or listen to the news or see the news and it, it pulls on our hope. Right? It says that there is no hope for our future. There is no hope for this nation. Man, there's no hope for politics. It kind of is just spewing all this, what we say is truth. And I know it can be reality, but the word of God is the truth. Right? As, Jesus, as Jen prayed, he is the way, the truth, the life. And so there's things that God's word that James is saying that we need to be expectant. We can't even look at our nation and say, well, I'm expecting bad things to happen. No. I'm expecting for the Lord to return. And some of us, we chalk that up with, yeah, when the Lord returns, man, he's going to deal with all these evil, wicked people. <laughs> and I feel like that's not the attitude James is saying. He's saying, no, actually, you need to have, be hope-filled, that you're patient, right? I know, for me, patience is not part of me being angry and frustrated with people I don't like. That's not patience, right? Patience is actually thinking good things. When I am patient, I'm able to, okay, I'm just being honest with you. I'm impatient when I see a dumb driver in front of me because they're dumb, right? They don't drive like me, and they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And so I'm impatient because they're dumb, right? I find it a lot easier to be patient with somebody that I love, that I cherish, that I honor. And they're doing something. I might not understand it, but I trust that they have good intentions. Oh, it's easy for me to be patient because I know they're good, and I know they're not dumb, right? And so it's one of those things where I grow impatient when I label people that they aren't worthy to love. They aren't worthy to have hope for but I can have patience for people that I really genuinely have the love of the Lord in my life for them. And so I feel like the Lord is saying to us this morning, where are you not patient with people? Well, if you're not patient, you're probably lacking some of the love of the Lord. And it's not just being patient, just saying, okay, I'll wait my turn. It's actually having this expectancy, this hope, this joy-filled expectancy that something good is going to happen for you and even for this other person that's driving you nuts. And I feel like the Lord is saying to us this morning, how high are your hopes? He's saying, have high hopes. That's the word of the Lord this morning. Raise your hopes. And why don't we raise our hopes? Because it's happened in the past where I've had high expectations or high hopes and they weren't met. And then I say, well, let me just lower my expectations. Then it doesn't hurt so bad, right? Then it doesn't bother me so much. And I feel like the Lord is saying, no, that is not the word of the Lord to you. Don't reason and don't figure out ways to cope with things that didn't go your way. He's saying, no, raise the word of God and let, your ex let ex all the experiences of life, raise them to the standard of God's word. Don't dumb down God's word to lowering it down to your experience of life. Does that make sense? 
There's times where I've experienced things, and then I take a word of the Lord, and I say, ah, well, maybe it doesn't mean that for me. Maybe take another word of the Lord and, 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 and replace it with this. And then I, I take this promise from God that was for me in my life, and I say, well, and I kind of dumb it down. And I say, well, maybe not. Maybe it means this, right? I, I'll give you an example. Healing, right? We talk about this all the time. I believe the Lord is a healer. And I believe that God does miracles. He can heal. There's nothing too difficult for him, right? But there's times where I've prayed for somebody to get healed, and they didn't get healed. And so I'm just being real honest with you. There's times where I say, okay, well, the next time I go to pray with somebody, in the natural, my expectations aren't as high. And the word of the Lord is, no, we are to raise our hopes. We're to raise our standards of, of expectation. That it didn't happen this time? Okay, then that means next time I'm going to actually raise my hopes and expect even more next time. It's upside down, right? The kingdom of God is sometimes so upside down. But he's saying it's not okay to lower your hopes. It's not okay to lower your standards of, of the promises that God has for us. I was thinking about this. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's called um, the hall of faith, right? You have all these people that are listed in the Old Testament that had this great faith, right? Abraham, Moses, right? Elijah, all these people that prayed for things and great things happened because of their faith. Not in my notes, so excuse me, but it's somewhere in chapter 11. But it talks about all these promises of God, that these heroes of the faith, they believed all the promises, all the future prophetic words of God were for their lifetime. And it says they didn't taste all of them. And it says, and we should praise them for believing for them, for having the faith for things they never saw in their lifetime. It's one of those things where in the natural, we would see people waiting and expecting for something good to happen and never happen in their life, and we would have pity on them. Oh, I'm so sorry for them. And God's word is saying, no, actually, you should praise them and become like them. That no matter what happens in your life, you are expecting all of God's promises. If I look back in the Old Testament, Old Testament New Testament, um, that's the Old Testament, saying all these Old Testament fathers, they believed everything was going to happen in their lifetime. As I read the New Testament... Man, I read Paul, I read all these people, they're believing that Jesus' second return is going to happen in their lifetime. They're preaching, you better get ready because Jesus is going to return any minute now. That was 2,000 years ago. I feel like every generation that really has high hopes believes that Jesus is going to return in their generation. I believe Jesus is going to return in my generation. And I don't care if he doesn't or doesn't, I'm believing for it. And I'm expecting all the goodness of God, meaning that, man, there's going to be a great harvest. You keep hearing me praying this, preaching this almost every Sunday. I'm believing for a billion soul harvest. I'm believing that the Lord is going to pour out his spirit like never before. There's a verse here we just read, right, in verse 7 and 8, where it talks about the farmer who patiently waits because of the early and latter rains. I'm not going to preach all on it this morning, but there was. We talked about Pentecost Sunday was the first fruits. It was the early rains. There's some latter rains that are supposed to come before Jesus returns. The latter rain of him pouring out his spirit, I'm saying in an even bigger way than the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. So I am praying like a farmer. I'm patiently waiting for it with expectation, with high hopes that, man, revival is on its way. And it's not like, oh, when my kids are old and I'm gray-haired. Well, I'm already gray-haired, right? But uh, someday. No, I'm saying no now. I'm saying this week. Why can't it be this week? And so I, this idea that expectation needs to be part of who we are. And I, I love, as I kind of pointed out, this word of the Lord's return. It says in verse 7 and verse 8 about 
The Lord's uh, appearing or his return or his coming or his presence. That word actually in the Greek is parousia, which means all those things, which often is translated Jesus' second coming, right? The parousia of the Lord. But as I was reading the definition, presence is there. So yes, it means I have expectation of Jesus' second return. I hope we all have an expectation of that. But I hope we also have an expectation for just the presence of God. That every time we meet here on a Sunday, on a Wednesday, every time we come together to worship the Lord, there's an expectancy of the presence of God, of the parousia, of a greater manifestation of the presence of God. I'm so excited because I said all these new things that I feel like God is doing. I feel like the Lord is doing a new thing in Osmond River Church. We've always been about, right, the word and worship and ministry and missions and all these things, right? We're not changing the focus of all the things of God. But there's something about that God is breathing in this hunger and passion for his presence. I'm so excited that, man, I'm putting people on spot this morning. Um, I remember when... um, the Mickelsons came here on a Wednesday night for the first time, that Jenny came in, and this is years ago, and it was a Wednesday night, we were doing something different, we were just praying a few of us up front, it wasn't a full-on normal service, right, there is such a thing at Osborne, and she came in the back a little bit late, and as I heard her testimony, she can correct me if I'm wrong, but as she came in, she told one of her boys, do you feel that? That's the presence of God, he's in this place, she recognized her first time ever in this sanctuary, she recognized the presence of God. That was years ago, and I'm praying there's an increase of that. I'm expecting more and more that when people come here, what is that? That's the presence of God. They might not recognize it like she did. They might say, man, there's something different. I feel weight being lifted off. They can't maybe put words to it, but there's something about the presence of God. There's joy in the presence of God, right? When people come in here, they say, man, you guys worship a little different than my church where I come from, right? You guys are jumping up and down and dancing. That seems strange. Well, it's just the presence of God. There's joy in the presence of God. And so I'm excited about that. Um, oh, sheesh. I guess I was thinking about the 10 days. I'm stuck on Pentecost, man. Pentecost was almost a month ago now. Um, But I was thinking about this. You know for 40 days Jesus kept appearing. In the last 10 days, Jesus has ascended. Oh, I'll just throw it out there. What were the 120, what were the disciples doing for those last 10 days? Before the day of Pentecost. Praying. Meeting together in one accord. So just some Sunday school trivia. I don't have all the verses in front of me. For 10 days, did they ever leave that upper room? So there's some scripture reference that says that daily they were in the temple worshiping God. Oh. It says continually. Actually, the word I don't have right in front of me, it's in Acts, but it says they were continually praying and in one accord in the upper room. It doesn't say continuously. It says continually. There's a difference in the English. I'm not a big English major. My wife has the master's degree in English. But there's a difference between those two words, continuously and continually. At some point for 10 days, they had to go use the restroom, right? (laughs) They had to go get some food. They had to go, someone had to go to the store maybe and bring some food back, right? They had to go say hi to their kids. They had to, you know, whatever. Something had to happen. So I'm not trying to deter that. They were continually coming back daily, probably for most of the day they were in the upper room, right? They might not have all 120, they might not have all 120 slept in that upper room. They might have gone back home. They went back to the temple to worship, but they kept coming back because they were hungry, They were anticipating, Jesus said something's about to happen, and I don't want to miss out on it. 
So as much as I can, I'm going to be in that upper room. I'm going to be, I, yes, they were praying. Yes, they were in one accord. But I can't help but think that for 10 days, the expectations were getting higher and higher and higher. It didn't happen yesterday. That's going to happen today. Oh, it didn't happen today. Man, it's going to happen tomorrow. Oh, man, it just kept getting more and more. And I sense that in somewhat what God is doing here at Osborne. That there's an increase. Every time we come, there's an increase of, oh, God can do the more. What he did last Sunday was so good, what he did last Sunday. But I think he can do more this Sunday. That's what I love about Pastor Larry, where he always says, man, it was the best Sunday ever. Because there's this mentality that it's always getting better. There's always more to God. They were praying. As I said, this title of this message is James chapter 5, expectancy and prayer. They were praying, but I think their prayers were full of hope, full of expectancy. Actually, it wasn't my notes either, but there was a devotional uh, this morning that talked about the difference between expectation and expectancy. Sometimes our expectations are very specific. We think this is exactly what God should do. This is my expectation of what you should do, God. And when it doesn't happen that exact way, man, our hopes are dashed, right? Ah. But when we have expectancy, expectancy, we, God, I believe you're doing something good and you're going to pour out your spirit and I don't even know what that looks like, but I'm just expecting you to do what you do, God. And we're not limiting it. We're not putting it in a box. We're not saying this is what it has to be. This is what it was before, so it has to be that same way again. No, he's doing a new thing. And so there's an expectancy for God to pour out a spirit but it might look a little different than it did a lot of time before. There's things we need to know. We need to study the word of God so we know that we can rightly divide the word of truth, that we can d- discern spirits, right? There's things like that. I get that. But there can't be restrictions on this is what it has to be, God. There has to be an expectancy of God doing something good and great. So they're together praying. That idea of continually. Uh, First, th- First Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing, right? Or pray continually. The idea is, you and I, I cannot do, I cannot pray and talk to Jesus 24-7. At some point, I have to have a conversation with my wife. At some point, I have to discipline my kids. At some point, right, I have to go to work and work on something where my full, undivided attention is on fixing this problem, right? Or whatever it is. I get it. We can't continuously pray, but we can continually pray. That in every situation, we're bringing it before the Lord in prayer. Continually. We prayed for this thing once, we're going to pray for it again. Well, it didn't happen, we're going to pray for it again. I've been praying for this person in my family for the last 20 years to get saved. I'm not giving up. I'm going to continually keep on praying until it happens. Does that make sense? So this idea of continually, the Lord wants us to continually come together with expectation. So it says prayer, that they were gathered together for 10 days. They had this expectation, and they were praying. They were praying. And I was thinking about this. As you read the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus taught his disciples a lot of things. He taught them scriptures they had memorized as a, as a young boy, and he was revealing brand new truths to them. How come I've memorized that, and I've quoted that for years, and I never understood it? Jesus was opening up their minds. He was teaching them scriptures. Jesus taught them parables, right? 
And then even after he taught the multitude parables, he would take his disciples aside and he would teach them the meaning of the parables. Jesus taught them how to cast out demons, how to heal the sick. Jesus was constantly teaching his disciples all kinds of things. But as you read the Gospels, you'll find only one time the disciples actually ask Jesus to teach them something. I think there's something unique about that. They could have said, Jesus, teach us how to cast out demons, right? Teach us how to raise the dead. Teach us how to do this, right? They could fill in the blank. But I think maybe the reason why the Gospels record only them asking one thing is because I think maybe the disciples understood. If we can learn this one thing, we get everything else. It says this in, in Luke 11.1. 1. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. There was something different about the way Jesus prayed than the way they had prayed all their lives, the, the way they saw priests pray, the way they saw their rabbis in their local um, synagogue pray. When Jesus prayed, there was something different about it. And so they said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray like you pray? Right? And you know the famous prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It should be called the Disciples' Prayer. Right? Our Father who art in heaven. Right? We know that whole prayer. I'm not going through that whole thing this morning, but I want you to understand there's something so important about prayer. And I want to teach you just maybe a few different things from James chapter 5. Ah, I got to run through these really quick because I got to end on something else I want to end on. Yeah, let's just go through it. James chapter 5 verse 13. It says this. Are there any believers in your fellowship suffering? Encourage them to pray. To me, I read that. The first thing that comes to mind, some of us in this congregation are suffering needlessly. Meaning, if we prayed about it, the suffering could be dealt with. Do I mean that there would be no suffering? Jesus didn't teach that there will be no suffering, right? He said, no, there will be suffering, but you can actually, in suffering, overcome and have joy and have peace and have gladness, have all the fruits of the Spirit in you, that suffering isn't something that just drags you down and you become, oh, I'm just a suffering saint for Jesus. No, that you are alive, that the living God is in you, and you are, whatever suffering or pain or trials you're going through is not robbing you of any joy. Jesus said, I came to give you life, that you might have it to the fullness. And he's saying here, is there anyone among you suffering? Then encourage them to pray. There should be some encouragement to pray that prayer isn't just this religious, we have to pray these, the Hail Mary 150 times and then, you know, then we'll be done with that suffering. No, it's actually this encouragement comes from praying. I'm going to go fast because i got to get somewhere. Um, so verse 14, are there any sick among you? Then ask the elders of the church to come and pray over the sick and anoint them with oil in the name of our Lord. I don't have time to unpack all that either, but I feel like there's truth here. The Lord is saying there's power in prayer. And if you're sick, you should be asking people to pray over you. That's a normal, James is saying this. If there's people who are sick or who are suffering, you should be asking for prayer. Oh, okay, I'll say this really quick. I know for me sometimes, I've had people in this congregation come to me personally and say, Pastor, what can I be praying for you for? And in my being nice, I'm like, ah, oh, I kind of give a general answer. Oh, life is good. I'm doing really good. And I don't give them specific, anything specific to pray over. I just say, no, really, God is so good. His grace is good. Thank you so much for being kind and asking for that. I'm missing out. I should be asking people to pray over specific things. I was telling Jen this, I don't know, months ago. Even our prayer chain, I realized it doesn't even occur to me sometimes when something happens in my family to 
So you can put on the prayer chain. I'm the pastor of the church. I don't even put on the prayer chain. But God's word is saying, man, if you're suffering, you should talk to somebody about that. You should get some prayer. Why? Because verse 15 says, the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Oh, man. Do we really believe that? I think I believe it partially. I think I have a faith for that. But I've had too many experiences. I'm just being real with you. Where I've seen people get prayed over and they didn't get healed. But God's word says the prayer of faith will heal the sick. I can't take the Bible and bring it down to my experience. I'm saying it again. I have to take my experience and say, well, I didn't see someone get healed. But God's word says the prayer of faith will heal the sick. So I have to keep praying for it. It's not my, I don't heal anybody. I'm not the one who heals. It's God who heals. I'm just being obedient to pray for it. I can't allow my expectation to wane because it didn't happen. It's not my job to heal somebody. It's my job to pray for them. That's it. So verse 16, I'm going to move along. 16a, it's the beginning of verse 16. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Another translation, pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. So you have this exhortation that you should be asking for prayer. And you should be praying for others. It's both there, this idea of prayer. And I don't mean this as like a guilt, shame thing. I'm hopefully the word of the Lord to you this morning is an encouragement that he wants you to be praying. He wants you to be getting prayer. This is, prayer is effective, right? That's the next part, 16b. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, produces much, accomplishes much. Tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. When Jen was praying this morning, I'm just being real honest with you. There was, even in the midst of her praying, there was moments I was 100% agreeing, and I was like, yes, Lord. I was saying amen out loud, and I'm just being honest with you. The pastor in the front row, there was times she was praying, and I started to, to daydream. I'm, I don't think I was the only one in here that while Jen was praying, you weren't praying. You were thinking about something else. I'm just being real and honest with you. That's where we're at, but the Lord is encouraging us. Would you stir up some passion when you pray? Don't do just religious prayers. Engage yourself because it produces incredible results. God's word says prayer actually changes things. It, it matters. What we pray matters. Right? Finishing it off, verse 17 and 18 is giving us an example. For example, Elijah, a human just like us, prayed hard that it wouldn't rain and it didn't. Not a drop for three and a half years. Then he prayed, a human being just prayed that it would rain and it did. The showers came and produced the harvest. He prayed for rain, and it produced a harvest. Connecting that to the latter rain, are you and I, are we praying for the Holy Spirit to be poured out? Are we praying for incredible harvest? It says that Elijah did, just one man, and it rained. Man, what if a church began to pray for a harvest? Oh, man. I got to move quick. Because I just have more I want to give to you this morning. I'm going to give you three things pretty quick. There's a rule and a key and a principle I want to give you. The rule, we'll go with that one first. The rule is, comes from a quote I got from Charles Spurgeon. Love this guy. He says this, it is a rule that will never be altered in anybody's case. 
If the royal and divine Son of God cannot be exempted from the rule of asking, you and I cannot expect to have the rule relaxed in our favor. Asking is the rule of the kingdom. You have not because you ask not. Ask anything in my name and it will be done for you. Jesus said this over and over again. If you did some of your homework from Pat, she said read John, right? Chapter 12 through 17. He said it multiple times. Please, he, just, he was begging with his disciples. Please just start asking me for things. Ask, ask and it will be given to you. If Jesus himself had to ask, that's Charles Spurgeon. Man, the rule wasn't even bent for the Son of God. Jesus himself is at the right hand of the Father interceding. I'll say this, asking the Father for things for you and me. If Jesus isn't exempt from asking, why would you and I think that we don't have to ask? Hmm. All right, I'll move on. The key. So that's the rule of the kingdom. Then there's a key. What's the key? I got from this uh, E.M. Bounds. He says this. He writes tons of literature on, on prayer. And one quote from his, prayer is the language of a man burdened with a sense of need. That expressed helplessness is the key to giving God access to our need. The key is expressing our helplessness. Uh, there's a song that from Elevation Worship. It says this, I'm not enough unless you come. When we come before the Lord in prayer, there has to be a recognition that I am not enough. I don't have what it takes. Lord, what you're asking me to do, I don't have it. I'm not enough. Apart from him, I can do nothing. When I come to the Lord, there's got to be, I am so desperate for you to show up, God. If you don't show up, I'm going to look like a fool. That's really what faith is. As I'm going to go try to do something for God, and if he doesn't show up in some way, if he doesn't supply all the things that I don't have, man, I'm going to fall flat on my face and people are going to laugh at me. But it's amazing when you come to the Lord in prayer that way, say, God, please, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I cannot do this. I'm not self-sufficient. I'm not self-reliant. I'm not independent. Oh, that's a word for someone here. We've, not, we've got to get rid of our independence, right? We're about to celebrate our independence day as a nation, and that's good, that's healthy, I get that. But as a believer in Christ, we've got to get rid of our independence. I'm not enough unless I can't even breathe without you putting breath in my lungs, God. There's got to be, I'm helpless and hopeless without you, Jesus. But I love this idea. I'll say the key to the kingdom is first that you tell God that you're not enough, and after you've done that, then you tell the devil that you are more than enough. When I come before the Lord, God, I'm not enough. But after I spent time in his presence, he's filled me with the truth of God. His presence is in me. The Holy Spirit is in me. Jesus Christ in me is the hope of glory. That greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. That if God be for me, who be against me? Right? I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. So it's both of these things. It's when I come to the Lord, I'm saying, oh, like David, I'm not enough, God. I don't know how to do this. I don't have what it takes. And then after leaving the presence of God, man, you come against me with sword and spear, I come against you in the name of the Lord. Amen. I'm not afraid of you, right? But it comes first things first. I can't defeat the devil until I first come to the Lord in this need. I am needy. I need you, Lord. The key is need. All right, moving on. Principles. So I gave you a rule. I gave you a key. Finally, principles. I'm going to give you 
three principles super fast, right? You got them up on the slide. Specific, sincere, simple. When we learn the principles of prayer only by the, okay, we only learn the principles of prayer by practice. I, I was thinking about this. I'm not really a musician, but I know this much. If I hear a, a song on the radio and someone's playing the piano, and just because I heard it doesn't mean I know how to play the song. Just because you and I, we heard a sermon doesn't mean we know how to do it. It comes through practice. It comes through actually doing it. I have to go put my fingers on a keyboard and actually start practicing what that song is like. And as I practice, I then learn how to play it. It comes through practice. Same thing with prayer. Sometimes we make it this thing that it's like, well, I don't know how to pray. Well, just start practicing. I don't know how to play the piano either. I'll never learn if I start practicing. So prayer is one of those things where, man, we can hear all these great sermons. We can read God's word. But unless we put it into practice, it does us no good. So super quick, specific. I remember I gave a message on this years ago. When we pray, make it specific. Don't just pray, Lord, just bless me. Well, what does that mean? I could pray, God, give me a wife. You know, when I was in college, God, give me a wife. But I think the prayer becomes so much more passionate and purposeful when I see someone that is really attractive and I say, God, give me that one as my wife. <laughs> right? There's something different about that prayer. My prayers become a little more passionate. It's not, well, just bless me in general with a wife. No, I want that one. Right? There's something about when I am specific, it brings God more glory. It actually brings his availability, his glory, and his power to bring on that specific faith for that specific need. Um, I don't have time to unpack all that. But specific, be specific when you pray. Be sincere. As I said, don't be religious. There's this quote, ask with a beggar's humility, seek with a servant's carefulness, and knock with the confidence of a friend. Some of us need to grow probably in all three of those, but maybe more in one in this season of our life. To ask with a beggar's humility, to seek with the servant's carefulness, to knock with the confidence of a friend. Last one, simple. Eloquence is not necessary for effective prayer. Jesus, when he's talking about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, he's like, don't be like those priests who pray out loud in front of everybody and they keep praying forever and ever and ever. Stop that. Just be like a child. Just say, Dad, I need help. Right? Eloquence is not needed for effective prayer. God answers the simplest of petitions. All right. Man, I raced through all that stuff because I really wanted to get to here. Time's up. And as Daniel's coming up, the worship team can come up. I would love for you to put into practice something that the Lord is speaking to you. We all need prayer. We all should be asking for prayer. We always finish our services with one last worship song. We're going to do that again. But I'm going to encourage you during this last worship song, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? And I'm going to encourage you to one of two things. Go find somebody and pray for them because we're encouraged to do that. Or go find somebody and ask them to pray for you. Either one. Like I said, I'm guilty of coming to church, having another person in this church body ask me, Pastor, what can I pray for you for? And I, I missed out. I just gave some general thing. 
Some of you should pray for the person right next to you. Some of you, you should probably go across the room and find somebody else. I'm going to leave that up to you. But I would love for us, before we leave, to do some kind of prayer, and then I'm just going to make it be known now. I'm going to second. We're all going to stand. I'm going to say a general prayer. I'm going to say move. They're going to lead us in a worship song. You guys are going to go pray with somebody, hopefully. And after that, you're dismissed. You don't have to wait for a dismissal. As soon as you're done praying, service is over with. So would you stand with me? And I feel like some of us right now, maybe there's some anxiety. <gasps> I have to pray over somebody else. I don't want to do that. That's okay. That's normal. That's like going to a piano and not knowing how to play. I have to figure it out. That's okay. There's grace in here. If we want revival, we want the ladder rains to come, we've got to learn to be like the, those 120 in the upper room. It says they kept coming together continually praying in one accord. It doesn't mean they just... They w the Holy Spirit waved a wand and all their differences and all their anxieties poof were gone. They had to work through those things. So I'm saying this morning, I to work through some of our anxieties, to work through some of our love for one another. Some of us, I'm just, oh man, I'm, I'm talking too long, but some of us, we need to pray for somebody else before they even tell us what they need. I don't think that's for everybody, but there's definitely a majority, I don't know if it's a majority, but several of us we're supposed to pray over somebody and not even ask what they need. And the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you and through you. Just a specific blessing. He'll give you something, something to pray over. So I love this. I love God's word where he says that it's the job of the pastor to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's not my job to pray over the It's your job. You're the saints. So, so much more ministry can take place today in you and through you. And it's going to be effective because we are just trying to be sincere. We're going to keep it simple. It doesn't have to be this long, eloquent prayer. Just keep it simple, sincere. What was that other one? Specific. All right, so I'm going to say a prayer and I'll release you guys to go pray over one another. So, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you move in different ways. God, I thank you that you're moving in Osmond Neighborhood Church. We can see your goodness, God. We can see your hand of faithfulness doing incredible things. As we got to pray over graduates, that was so good to honor them, to cherish them, to celebrate what they've done. I pray that continues as we finish this service, that we would celebrate one another, that we would encourage one another, we would build each other up, that there'd be prophetic words that cause us to leave here with joy and excitement and expectancy for the future. God, I pray that we would put on love for one another, that we would not be so self-centered. I know I can be that sometimes, God. I, I, I care about what other people think about me and what I'm praying. God, would you wash me of myself, rid me of myself, so that I can bless you and bless others. May we be a church who continually learns how to pray how to seek your face. So Holy Spirit, would you be our helper right now as we pray for those next to us and around the room. Lead us, guide us into all truth. May we be sensitive to hear what the Father's heart is over the person we're praying for. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.
So go for it. Begin to pray for those that are around you.